Welcome to another edition of the Ebony Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McDonald. You can check us out on ebonybird.com and follow us on Twitter at ebony underscore bird. I, of course, am a contributor. I, my Twitter handle is at jmcdonald95, and I run a Baltimore sports blog and podcast, a separate uh, website and podcast called Charm City Birdwatch. You can check that out, of course, at charmcitybirdwatch.com. I'm joined today by our two site experts yet again, Chris Schiffler and Joe Schiller. Chris is footballman58 on Twitter. Joe is Joe Schiller with two R's, and he was at the Ravens' disappointing loss to the Steelers on Sunday, uh, 26-9 to defeat to put the Ravens at two straight defeats in 2-2 two and two after starting off the season at 2-0. and We're going to get into several things. Before we do that, be sure to download the Ebony Bird app off the Apple Store. Uh, you can download it and read all of our latest articles and access our podcast as well as anything else fan-sided related. There's several articles up right now including five Baltimore Ravens who have been the most disappointing this year. Uh, this one posted yesterday, five thoughts following the week four loss against the Steelers, and this one also coming yesterday, three reasons why Marty Morningwig will not accomplish anything. These, again, are just a few of the options you can check out, good opinion editorial pieces, along as slideshows on ebonybird.com, so be sure to check those out. So, fellas, we're going to get into uh, the nitty-gritty of the game in a minute, but Joe, I want to ask you specifically, since you were at the game on Sunday, of course, uh, there's been a lot of discussion nationally about the uh, the anthem protest, which all this seems just like a distant memory because of what's been happening in the news the past several days. But as somebody that was at the game, uh, you, of course you saw the Ravens before the national anthem took place. They announced that they were doing a team uh, prayer to um, it, to show unity for all races and for all people, uh, not just in the United States but around the world, really. But this was a message specifically to the United States because of what's happened. And uh, as soon as, you know, basically as soon as the public address announcer announced uh, what was going on, really not long after he started talking, there were a, a chorus of boos from the fans, and of course the team took a, a kneel uh, just as like a, a little moment of silence, a little prayer to, sh- to show that they wanted to represent unity, and that's what they stood for. Um, and then afterwards, they did stand for the national anthem, but they didn't even kneel during the national anthem. Everybody stood, nobody was on one knee, but yet... Uh, I was I personally was disappointed at, at the way Ravens fans reacted without even giving the announcement really a chance to uh, you know be explained before everything happened. Uh, part of me kind of wishes they kind of the, the team should have said something to give the fans a little idea before the game. Uh, but nevertheless, just um, not even this you know, the the actual kneel was not related to the anthem at all. And me personally, I was disappointed in the way the Ravens reacted, especially because this game was shown in several markets because of the Ravens-Steelers marquee matchup, not just in our, our two areas. Uh, but I want to know how you felt, because I personally was disappointed at how Ravens fans reacted on Sunday. Yeah, so you could even see it before we went into the stadium. There were a ton of people just walk around with American flag shirts and pants on, people with um, shirts saying, like, I stand for the national anthem and stuff. So it was a big um, like component even before we got it in the game, like people tailgating stuff. Like you could see a ton of American flags were flying in the parking lots and stuff. But I was going to hit on what you had said. Um, I was a little disappointed too, but they didn't do a great job of kind of letting people know before. I wish they would have done that, especially with how big of a, a thing this has been. But they, the public, I mean, if I remember right, the public, public dress announcer, um, said that the Ravens were going to, we were going to have a moment of silence, uh, for like our, we'll take a, or do for a prayer. And then the Ravens took a knee and right as they did it, the, the whole stadium like booed. I, I don't know if you guys could hear on the, the TV by oh, yeah, we could. Yeah, yeah, we could. They showed, incredible. They showed the PA announcer on the TV. I mean, like I was shocked that they booed. It was unbelievable because yeah. because if 
anything, we always hear prayer, prayer, prayer in this in this country. Then we have a team prayer, and then they boo. It had nothing to do with any of the. They were just ready to boo. They really were just upset that we booed in the first, that we kneeled in the first place. And as soon as anybody goes to a knee, which you know is often considered a respectful symbol in the first place, they just decide they're going to freak out. It was horrible. It was yeah, horrible. Well, Announced it like I, I, I like what Chris said when they took any people were ready to do. I mean, they there were a lot of very angry people, and I think it didn't really put it in perspective to me because like when you're not at the games and like you're on social media and stuff, you don't really see a lot of those those things. I mean, more on Facebook, but once you got to the game, like you could tell like there's a lot of people who are not happy about it, like more than more than I expected. Um, but yeah, they once they took the knee, everyone just started booing, and then they they did get up, and I think a lot of people didn't realize that they were. Just doing that, to me, I'm not going to defend it, but I just think some people were just confused. No one was going on. I think they could have done a better job, but nonetheless, I thought I was a little, I was a little disappointed. Anymore. I thought they went out of their way to be respectful, and I don't think you need to go out of your way to explain something that was pretty transparent. I mean, they had a PA announcement. They they took their time, you know. And you know what, Ronnie Stanley after the game tweeted. What the heck do you guys want us to do? I mean, at this point, there's nothing. They At this point, I wouldn't be shocked that if they stood and didn't do anything out of the ordinary every single week, they would still be mad that they did it in London, and they would fill them every week. I just, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the Ravens can say, and I don't know what the Ravens can do. There's just so much vitriol right now that doesn't, and it's it's almost like we're being angry just to be angry. We, we literally they went out of their way to be respectful, and I really I thought it was kind of a touching gesture. I mean I don't do the prayer thing, but I had no problem with prayer happening. I mean I I have I can't believe that prayer was booed at a stadium, and this is coming from a guy who doesn't do religion. I just I I couldn't believe that prayer was booed at a stadium, isn't that kind of go hand-in-hand hand against what they're fighting in the first place? I don't know. It just made no sense to me, and I was sad that they didn't even give the Ravens a chance to be respectful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Nothing really about Sunday made sense. It seems both uh, you know what took place before the game and during the game. I personally, where, where I live, I don't live on campus uh, here at Bloomsburg. I'm a senior here. I don't live on campus, and where I live now, you know, I don't have cable. So I was at a, um, I was at the a sports bar with my dad watching the game. Uh, he came up to visit for the weekend, and I could not hear the, the audio clearly from where I was sitting because uh, it was, you know, a crowded bar. And uh, I thought that they were all kneeling at like the whole team was kneeling at once during the national anthem, and then I realized, oh, this is separate from the actual. Uh, anthem, but I, when, when I saw them go down, like I, I thought, oh crap, they're all kneeling all at once, and I thought that was gonna not not for my belief. I just thought if that would have taken place, that there would have been a much more negative reaction. So thankfully, nothing. But, but Jake, Jake, your reaction is understandable. You couldn't hear the PA announcer. The entire stadium could hear the PA announcer, and many of the people in the stadium booed. I actually have heard from a lot of people that they did not boo. I don't think it was the entire stadium, but. See, that's the context. The Ravens may not have prepared their fans, but in the moment they said what they were doing. The excuse flies out the window. I see both sides. I mean, just from the fact that, like, it was a, like, um, 
that I, I mean, for me, I wasn't really paying attention at the time. So it like the boots started right as they took a knee. So I was so caught off guard. And like you said, they were ready to, they were ready to do no matter what they were going to do. So, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's such a, a touchy subject that I, I mean, I don't think they're going to do anything more like that the rest of the year. I don't even think they'd experiment with it. Couldn't agree more with anything you guys said. Now, we want to get into the actual game again, uh, as painful as this might be, talking about a 26-9 loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Ravens offense held the single digits, uh, and the starting offense held it just one touchdown for the second game in a row. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to get into how good or bad the Ravens are, but, I mean, the two the two games where they played the Bengals and the Browns, I mean, those clearly are two teams that aren't really making much noise in the NFL, and the Ravens will certainly be up next. Uh, but those two teams, that you know, their offense did what they had to do, and the defense was absolutely dominant. And then when we saw when they were, you know, uh, going into London, having no experience so far, playing a Jaguars team that had done it before, and then coming home and playing a Steelers team uh, that hadn't gotten Le'Veon Bell going on pace until this game, which I kind of thought going in. Um, I would like to kind of brag a little bit now and say that I was the only one who picked the Steelers to win last week. So at least I got my pick right if we're... Uh, going into some positives here, but uh, looking, I mean, we, our first topic is how, you know, good, bad the Ravens are. Uh, I think their defense, if they're not on the, I mean, these two, these past two games, they've been on the field a really long time, and if they're not always, with the pressure's not always on them, if there's a little bit more balance on those units, I think this is a really good Ravens team, but when we've seen the past two weeks when the defense has had to do all of the work, and when the offense has just been absolutely ineffective, uh, the, the defense has been put into some tough spots, and, you know, the injuries to Brandon Williams have not helped at all. Um, but anyone with two eyes and a brain can see that this Ravens offensive unit is broken. Uh, you know, Joe Flacco has lost complete confidence ever since he had the knee surgery. Really, ever since Gary Kubiak left, he hasn't looked, you know, looked like the same quarterback. They don't have any real attack in the running game. They have a bunch of guys who, you know, might be number twos on most teams. Uh, you know, their starter, their starter now, Alex Collins, wasn't even on the team until the regular season began. Uh, no one could have predicted what happened to the offensive line and, and all the injuries to the tight ends and suspensions. I understand that, but they've lost so many starters on both those units. And Flacco, a lot, I mean, it's partially on him, but a lot of the times, in, like we saw in the Steelers game, he's getting hit an awful lot of times and has no time to throw and has no time to get to the ball to the receiver. So, Chris, Really, you know, when the offense is struggling as much as it is and really all signs point to it not getting much better, you know, all the injuries, the suspensions, Flacco missing the entire, uh, you know, preseason. When they were winning and the defense was dominant, we were able to put all that off to the side, but the glaring issues of this team on offense mainly are really finally starting to show up and in a big way. This offense is, like, pulling teeth. It's just, I, I can't, I can't, I, I, I watched the other games in the NFL, and I watched the Ravens game, and I, I hold the remote, and I think it would be so easy to change this channel. It would be so easy to watch another game, but there, there's actual football being played. I, I can't do it, but I want to so badly because Joe Flacco is the worst quarterback in the NFL right now. He's playing horrible. I've never seen Joe Flacco play this bad. I've always defended Joe Flacco, but there's always been a reason to defend the man. He is playing absolutely out of his mind horribly. And then Alex Collins is their best player, and it's not even close. Yeah, he has a fumbling problem, but right now a fumble is almost like the best scenario that can happen when this offense is on the field. It's horrible. This offense is ridiculous. I'd rather take a chance of Alex Collins than give it to Terrence West, 
foot. I swear, my best friend keeps say, telling me he's got cement to this place, and I'm pretty sure he's right. And then Buck Allen, he's good, but Alex Collins, it's a spark plug. We don't have a lot of them. And then Brashad Perryman, Mike Wallace, could you catch passes? The only route runner we have right now, the only guy who can get open because he can actually run routes at the wide receiver position, it's Jeremy Macklin. Ben, ben Watson is doing his part. But, I mean, where's Nick Boyle? Where the heck is Nick Boyle? Oh, he's going to have a breakout year. That didn't happen. Rashad Perryman's going to have a breakout year. That didn't happen. The offensive line is on playing like Z right now with Marshall Yonda being out after losing Nico Saragusa and Alex Lewis. At what point do you just look at this offense and say, there is nothing good that can happen? Joe Flacco plays competent. Sure, we can have the running game. By the way, we have one of the best running games in football, but guess what? That doesn't lead to points when the passing game is the worst in the NFL. We are the least efficient passing game ever. When we open up the playbook, it's better. But the problem is then the problems for Flacco come in. I mean, are you kidding me? Flacco, back shoulder pass, throw it right to a linebacker. That one interception where he throws it off the back foot and Shazir picks it off. Dude, you have to throw that either really high so the tight end can jump up and get the football. We have to throw it out of bounds. That is something Carson Wentz, a second-year player, will keep. Come on. What rookie? Deshaun Watson wouldn't even do that. What rookie young quarterback? Nobody would do that. A high school quarterback would not do that. It is ridiculous. I can't. You know what? I'm sorry. I, I, I had to rant, but you know what? I am proud of myself. I didn't cuss, and I didn't know talking about the Ravens' offense could be done without curse words. I'm yeah, mad. Flacco looks terrible. I mean, 10 straight games with interception seems more like skill now than like just than him just doing it. I don't know. He he's just he has no passion in him. He doesn't look like he even cares being out on the field. I mean, he just looks like he wants to sit back with his money right now. I don't blame him. I'd probably do the same thing, but. I'm not starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, so it doesn't really matter. But this offense is just terrible. I mean, the run game is is good, but like Chris said, that doesn't mean anything if you have the worst passing game in the NFL right now. The offensive line is terrible. I was listening to someone talking. They made a really good point with how bad the offensive line is. It almost is like Flacco is sensing the pressure even before it gets there, and he's just all out of sorts in the pocket. I mean, he, and the wide receivers aren't helping him much either. But, I mean, this offense is just absolutely terrible. And, like Chris wrote about, I mean, Marty Morningway is the easy guy to go to for all these problems. I mean, he definitely deserves a lot of the blame, but it's not all his fault. This team um, has just suffered so many injuries. Marshall Yonda with the last glue, last piece of glue holding that offensive line together, and they just cannot do anything. Even Ronnie Stanley's just getting pushed back and stuff, and it's just it's just it's so hard to watch. Even at the even being at the game itself, the offense had so many opportunities to get back into this game when it was 19 to nine, and the defense did all they could to hold up the Steelers. But at some point. The offense just every it's like either a three and out or they get a first down and then just immediately um, go three and out again. I mean it's it's crazy. And that one play with Flacco, I don't know if you guys were watching in the third quarter, right before the third quarter was over, Flacco called that timeout with like four oh, that seconds was inexcusable. Left. That, that was, was inexcusable. And then they inexcusable. Ran, they ran the exact same play after that, and I think they lost like three or four yards. It was just it's just embarrassing to watch. I mean. This it doesn't look never... like professionals. It doesn't look like professionals. It looks I'd... like it looks like rec league. I'd rather watch the Ravens off. I'd rather watch Joe Flacco through 700 passes like he did last year than watch this offense now. I mean, it's just it's just so frustrating. And 
Alex Collins, I mean, like Chris said, he's the best thing we have at running back, but even then he's just the fumbling machine. I mean, John Harbaugh can't really put him in his doghouse because if he does, who else is going to go out there and run the ball? Terrence West is playing off one. Like, and like we kind of thought coming into the season, he's just a placeholder. And he's not, he probably is not going to be on this team next year. He'll be a free agent, so he'll be gone. And I mean, Buck Allen can take over Danny Woodhead's role, but he's not going to do everything on the ground for you. So, I mean, I, this, this offense has so many problems and there's nothing you can fix short term. So, I mean, this Ravens team is, they're not, they're not the worst thing in the league. They're pretty darn close to it, but they're nowhere near any, nowhere near good. And then I, I there, a lot of people were talking about they're an eight and eight team. I, I think they're even worse than that, to be honest. I, I'm starting to think the same thing that you are, Joe, and I think, you know, you kind of introduced this topic where, you know, uh, we want to discuss Joe Flacco, and his his bad play is the one thing you guys were alluding to making, uh, being able to make excuses for him last year because of the knee injury, and then, you know, uh, uh, he wasn't just himself, even though he had all the weapons, but uh, he's had so many different coordinator changes in the past few years, but, I mean, really, this, this season... Uh, I, I'm this, I'm kind of like you guys. I'm really starting to lose my patience with Joe. I can give him a little bit of leeway because of you know when you lose like three or four starters on the offensive line and basically everyone on the offensive line is a low pick or a former undrafted free agent. You know it it doesn't usually more times out of, than not does not lead to success and at this point it's just flopped in the complete opposite direction. But even then you just see him making mistakes that should not be made like that back shoulder pass to the linebackers you guys were talking about and the point that. You made that I'm really starting to get concerned about is you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't. When you look and watch him on the sidelines, he doesn't look like he cares. After the press conference, you know the press conferences after the game, he he doesn't have any emotion in his voice whatsoever. And I think that's part of his personality. He's just kind of a quiet guy. But where does the line come where he you just look like you have absolutely no desire and no passion to play this game? So really, the last time we saw good Joe Flacco was three years ago, and ever since they won the Super Bowl, this is gonna. I mean, if, if the season keeps going like this, it'll be his fourth bad season in five years, and they're paying him to be a top quarterback in this league, and he's not getting the job done, no matter how much he doesn't have that big weapon in the offense behind him at running back, or how much the offensive line isn't, you know, what what it was supposed to be coming into the season. The fact of the matter is. When you're one of the highest players in the NFL, you need to play like it. And I don't think he has any motivation, any desire. What's, I mean, I could, I could be wrong. I'm not a mind reader, but just the, looking at him visually on the field, he does not look like the same guy he was four or five years ago. And I understand, you know, I saw Luke Jones from WNST.net say 13 out of their last 17 first or second draft picks, uh, you know, first round draft picks have been on the defensive side. They haven't done nearly the same thing on the, on the offense. And, to me, you know, the question, if it's time to move on from Flacco, you kind of look at it if it's another unsuccessful season. And with them going so defensive-heavy in last year's draft, I kind of have the feeling that they'll go offensive-heavy in next year's draft. And to me, if I were the Ravens, that would be the last chance i give Joe Flacco. If they're, if this next season, you know, if they get rid of him now, they just restructured his contract one or two off-seasons ago. I think it's a little early. But if, if he has another bad season this year, I think you load up on offense, give him as much as he needs. Of course, who knows how many of them will actually be on the 53-man roster if they can even stay on the field and not in the trainer's room. But if you, you know, at least attempt to you know, put all the draft picks into the offense and give him one more shot and see how it goes, and then at that point, I, at that point I will truly be done with Joe Flacco. But I'm getting to the point now of uh, just looking at him visually where I don't know if we're ever going to see the same Joe Flacco we saw in 2012. We'll go to Joe first, then Chris on this one. I mean, uh, I was um, looking something up yesterday about his contract. I mean, someone someone mentioned about restructuring, and you can't do that because it's going to be even harder to get 
um, get rid of him. I mean, the, the way the contract set up, the Ravens were married to him for at least another two years. I think there's a potential out in 2020. But, I mean, you couldn't do – it's not like you're going to cut him this year. It's like $53 million in dead cap. This team can barely afford to sign, like, anyone to the practice squad without having to restructure a veteran contract. So there's nothing they can do. Now, I mean, I think next year is the year you draft a quarterback to put some pressure on him because when has he had any kind of actual pressure behind him from a backup standpoint? I mean, let's be real. Ryan now is not a legitimate threat to him as a backup quarterback. I mean, they need to get something in, some quarterback in, like a rookie or a second-year guy. I mean, they've drafted – um, rookie quarterbacks, but it's never been anyone. It's like the seventh round or later on drafted guys. I mean, no one like Josh Woodrum's not a real threat. I don't care how many people were talking about in the preseason, but they need to actually go up in like the third or fourth round and just reach for a quarterback. And I mean, sooner or later you're going to have to move on. And the Ravens are getting to the point where I wish they would have drafted someone a couple of years ago because you could give them a couple of games now if the Ravens are out of contention towards the end of the season. But for now, what we can do put Mallet in, like a 28- or 29-year-old quarterback. What's that going to do? He's not the quarterback of the future. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think it's finally time that we start really putting some um, criticism on this front office because, I mean, it's did not draft any offensive players whatsoever in this draft was, I don't know, it just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And it, it rubs me more the wrong way, the fact that the players that they missed on, I mean, I'm not saying that they would have drafted a Kareem Hunter like a Juju Smith-Schuster, but just to think of those guys oh, being Juju available. Juju Smith-Schuster. Oh, I'm never getting over Juju Smith-Schuster going to the Steelers. We draft Tyus Bowser in the second round, then take Tim Williams. Why not just take Tim Williams and get your receiver in the second round? Sorry, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt. That is insane to me. Yeah, and it even reminds me of like a Stephon Diggs a couple of years ago. Like, what, why not reach for like a local guy or something? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a NFL draft analyst, so I can't make these decisions. But I just want to go back on something real quick when I was at the game. The thing with Flacco that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way is this, this, no, this hurry-up offense. I don't, I don't know what kind of hurry-up offense it is. It's like they're walking to the line of scrimmage. It's, it's slower than their actual, like, huddles they do. I mean, it was – I think there was, like, 10 minutes left in the, fourth, in the fourth quarter, and they were down. They could have gotten the ball to go for a nice drive, and they're just walking. It's like – he doesn't care. He doesn't even try to get the offense set in time. I mean, they're almost running out of time on this um, – on the score clock trying to set up a hurry-up offense. And we saw it last year when they played the Patriots when they were down with, like, four minutes left in the game. They did the same thing there. I mean, he just – I don't know what it is. And, and part of it, I agree with you, Jake, it definitely is his personality because he's not like a – he's just a very bland guy, just an average personality. I mean, he does not very outspoken in the media and stuff. And we don't know what he's like in the locker room. But from what we heard from Ray Lewis last year, it kind of seemed like the same thing. But I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like he cares anymore. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he cares. I never, I never really cared about his personality. I always thought that was overblown. Here's why it's a problem. Now it's a problem because the entire offense seems to be as lethargic as Joe Flacco. The problem is that things are going down to Joe Flacco's personality's level all across the board. That's a problem. And by the way, if we're going to stink and go like, like win five games, let's win two games. Let's get Sam Darnold or uh, Josh Rosen, and you know what? Let's put it. Let's make them the next Aaron Rodgers. Let's sit them behind a ridiculous quarterback. Let's just make him a ridiculously paid backup. I'm tired of it. I can't do it anymore. I can't deal with it. I'm done. I've defended this man so much. I've been the staunchest Joe Flacco defender. At what point? Do we say defending like dude? He was good from 2008 to 2012. He was really good. 
2013, started to slip. 2014, he was great. 2015, 16, and 17, horrible. I, I just, it's just been awful after awful. If we're going to stink, which I really am not convinced we're going to, I could see us winning 10 games still. I don't think we're going to. I could see it. But if we're going to stink, let's stink, get a quarterback early. Because I got news for you guys. Joe Flacco is not the future, and he certainly isn't the now. He's he's getting outperformed by just about every quarterback in the league right now. I, I don't know what else to say, guys. And certainly if the Ravens continue to struggle, it's going to become more and more of a storyline heading forward about the status of Joe Flacco. So we, we've had a lot of bad uh, conversations, a bad tone so far in this podcast or anything going on with the Ravens. So we're going to turn things around a little bit here. We're going to discuss uh, a couple a couple things, reasons for hope or optimism if you're a Ravens fan, and then some favorite Ravens memories to cheer up the Ravens flock. So if there's hope for optimism, looking at the Ravens' next four games, they have the Raiders coming up this week with no Derek Carr, on the road on the West Coast. They have the Bears at home, the Vikings on the road with possibly no uh, Sam Bradford and now uh, no Dalvin Cook in the backfield. And then they play a Dolphins team at um, in Baltimore who uh, the, the Dolphins have now been shut out two games in a row. So I do think there is hope for optimism because of these upcoming four games. I think they could go two and – I think they could go anywhere between uh, two and two and four and oh in these games. Uh, I mean – the only one I think that's going to be a particularly hard game, or you know, of course, going to be the road games, the Raiders and the Vikings. But of course, the Ravens have haven't played well at home of late, and have now not won a game, a home game in October in uh, three seasons now. But I mean, if you take a look after those four games, you have the, the Titans and then the Packers too. Uh, so I mean, those, those two are, I mean, those two are, you know, two perennial teams in the NFL at least projected to be this year. So after those four games, those two there, um, you know, I. It's hard to have hope right now. Um, I, it's it's kind of hard to come up with anything right now with the way the, the Ravens' offense is playing. If the defense can somehow improve, I do think there is a little bit of optimism. But you know, there's just so much to be concerned about with all the injuries the team has sustained, uh, and then we don't have Brandon Williams in there, and that's really hurting the defense. I, I'm trying to come up with reasons to stay hopeful right now, but it is really hard, Chris, and we'll. Go over to Joe after you. Uh, where are you after on on this right now? Are you hopeful at all? I'm hopeful. I, I'm hopeful. Cautious optimism is what I would call it. Um, it's too early. Uh, we've we've seen the Ravens. Hey, when we won the Super Bowl in 2012, we had a three game losing streak. We fired our offensive coordinator, and I don't think a lot of people predict us to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think this team has any. I don't think this team can even sense the Super Bowl right now, but. Look, we have a defense that has some things figured out. Brandon Williams gets healthy, and we have even more figured out. We have a lot of talent. Jimmy Smith, uh, Brandon Carr, Marlon Humphrey are playing great at corner. Weddle and Jefferson give me a lot of confidence in safeties. There's things about this team that are very good, and we have the best field goal kicker in the National Football League. We we forced two, ten turnovers in two weeks. That's good. The turnovers can come, but we've got to start being aggressive. One thing you saw against the Jaguars is Dean Pease wasn't aggressive with defense. And then basically we need to create pass rush. When Brandon Williams isn't in the game, Michael Pierce double teams, and he takes all the double teams. So when you have Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce together, 
the front seven, all of a sudden the math works. So that's my reason for optimism. I think the defense is just a couple of fine tunes, and I think you get back to maybe not five turnovers a game, but you get back to big plays that win you football games, even when your offense is horrible. And the our glimmer of hope on offense is, I don't think there's been a game this year where the Ravens haven't rushed for 100 rushing yards. So I we can run the football, have a run-based offense. Flacco just needs to be mediocre. He's not even doing that right now. But if Flacco can be mediocre with a good running game, we can win some ugly games. I, but I, if you want me to say, oh, we're going to be a juggernaut and things are going to look pretty, that's not happening, guys. Yeah, that's definitely not happening. I mean, I agree with everything you said, Chris. I mean, it's tough with the Ra- with the Ravens without two of their best interior um, linemen, but they still played, I mean, fairly well against the Steelers given the circumstances. I mean, the secondary played great. I just thought Marlon Humphrey really held his own. One of the first plays he was in, they put him right on Antonio Brown, and Humphrey went stride for stride with him right down the field um, in an incomplete pass. So, I mean, that's that's looking real good. I mean, with the more snaps he gets, the more you feel confident in him. I mean, he still looks like a rookie. He still gave up some passes, but you're going to get – that's going to come with it. But, I mean, I guess the only saving grace for me, I, I feel like, is you have a veteran quarterback who's been in the playoffs, who's won a Super Bowl, with two veteran wide receivers who can still catch the football, who we've seen them be productive in the past. I mean, my optimism, I guess, is that they can turn it around. We have Greg Roman, who's hopefully – going to be more of an influence in the offense than he is now because, I mean, Marty's system just doesn't seem to be working. Um, they, I guess, want the run game to keep um, going if there's not any fumbles. I mean, the Alex Collins thing worries me, but he's still the most explosive player on this team. When he fumbled, Harbaugh put him right back out, and he busted that big run right after. So, I mean, you need those explosive plays if you're going to have any kind of chance. I mean, and their schedule's manageable, like you said, Jake. I mean, they have a couple um, tough games on the road, but even the um, the Packers and the Titans both haven't looked great. I mean, the Titans got destroyed last week against the Texans. The Texans put up like 57 points on them, and that's supposed to be like with the best defense in the, in the NFL right now. So, I mean, a lot of teams aren't playing well this season. I think the AFC and maybe in the whole NFL, there are a lot of teams in the middle that are just very average, and the Ravens are definitely one of those. But, I mean, we saw this team go on a four-game losing streak to be in the middle of the uh, season last year, and they turned things around. And, like, I don't, they're not going to be a a juggernaut, like Chris said, but I mean, could I see them maybe sneaking their way into the playoffs if they turn things around? Yeah, because of how bad the division is itself and just the rest of the AFC right now. And also, let lighten up the mood. We're going to discuss <clears throat> some of our favorite memories here. Uh, I, I, of course, uh, you know, talking about some Ravens memories. I, of course, was only four years old when they won uh, Super Bowl thirty-five, so I don't have a lot of. Uh, of vivid uh, memories of that. I do have the Super Bowl DVD. I've watched it several times. Uh, but some of my favorite Ravens memories include um, the first game I ever attended in 2006. It was the last game of the regular season against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I remember my uncle had tickets, and he couldn't go to the game, so he gave them to my dad. And uh, we went. Uh, that was the very first game I had ever attended. Of course, you could talk about things such like the the 2011, you know, 34 to 7 route of the Steelers on 9/11 to open up the 2011 regular season. Uh, the Super Bowl, of course, the famous Super Bowl run, you know, going to M&T Bank Stadium, actually being in person to witness the last Ray Lewis dance. Uh, definitely, will never get any 
sort of chills like that ever again, uh, no matter uh, what kind of impact Ray Lewis has on the current team and, you know, whatever negative play is painted on him now. That still is one of my favorite all-time memories, the Mile High Miracle. Um, and to cap it all off, you know, after the Super Bowl, attending the parade, you know, skipping school uh, my junior year, I remember uh, not going to school that day and attending the Ravens parade and uh, just being inside the stadium that was completely overtaken by fans, really uh, not not a lot of security, which you think back then, uh, just four years ago, and how different it would be now if there was a parade in, inside the stadium like that um, with everything going on in our country. But we'll take it over to uh, Chris and then Joe, just sharing some of your favorite Ravens memories to cheer up the flock a little bit. When I was 10 years old, I didn't want to watch the Super Bowl. My uh, mom made me watch the Super Bowl. It was the Rams and the Titans, and I got hooked. So that summer, I uh, and thankfully she made me watch the Super Bowl. And that summer, I'd go to Ravens training camp in Westminster. Uh, I was like, I'm going to be a Ravens fan. And I'm like 10 years old, and that season we win the Super Bowl. So it just kind of catapulted my uh, obsession with the Baltimore Ravens and with football. Um, obviously the, the Super Bowl, the 2000 Super Bowl was unbelievable, but the most incredible mo, what? Real quick, how old were you when the Ravens moved to Baltimore? I was six years old. I was okay. 10 years when, 10 years old when they won the first Super Bowl. I was six years old when they came to Baltimore. Okay. Just ask. Just one so I, I, and so my first year of really getting into it, they win the Super Bowl and that was. Not bad. <laughs> Uh, it really catapulted my obsession, and uh, so that's always going to be dear to me. But my favorite Ravens memory of all time, without a doubt, 2003, the Seahawks game. I got I got tickets from a friend of mine uh, from uh, from school, middle school, who couldn't uh, couldn't go to the game, so they gave they gave us uh, the tickets for a pretty darn good discount, and. Uh, we went to the Seahawks game, and my dad wants to leave. We're getting we're getting killed. He's like, "Come on, this is stupid. We'll beat traffic." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Dad, I don't know, I don't know." And right at that moment, Ed Reed blocks the punt. We and Dad's like, "Okay, I guess we're staying." And I was like, "We're gonna win this game." And my dad's like, "Slow down, slow down." And we won that game in overtime. But that was the loudest I've ever heard the stadium, and it was just exciting play after exciting play. And I'll never forget how low and down we were and how high we were after that game. That was unbelievable. I just, there's never going to be a Ravens home game that was, would replicate that perfect, perfection, that great moment with my dad, um, that we both will have to the day we die. So that's my favorite Ravens memory. Yeah, mine is pretty similar to your take, actually. Um, my dad grew up in Baltimore, but um, he was in the Army, so we moved around a lot. But we finally moved back to Baltimore in 2006, and that was the first year he got season tickets to the Ravens because we hadn't been back since they moved back to Baltimore. And um, I, my first game I went to actually took me to that Ravens-Colts uh, playoff game with Stephen Mayer, the game that was all field goals. I remember that game like it was yesterday. They lost, but it was – I'd been my first Ravens game. I was hooked. I mean, the atmosphere was insane. I mean, that was the year they went 13 and three. That was just such a great game and just tailgating before and everything. I mean, it was, I was hooked. It was great. And that 2012 Super Bowl run, I mean, it was really like the first, like 
big big Ravens um, playoff run that I ever saw, and when they won the Super Bowl, because I wasn't, I was only what four or five when they won the Super Bowl in 2000. So I mean, just watching every playoff game, I remember watching the Jacoby Jones catch in my in my family with my family in the living room, and everyone just went crazy. I mean, you thought the Ravens were down. And they came back, and that is still, I'll say, the best playoff game I've ever seen, and, and rivals one of the best playoff games of all time. I mean, that was um, just from the start of the game. These those two teams went back and forth all the way into overtime and stuff. It was just a classic game. And then going to New England the next game and getting the revenge on the Patriots. The whole side of my mom's family are Patriots fans, and they gave me so much crap for that Billy Cundiff miss. So getting back in their face for that was one of the best feelings ever. And then going have them go to the Super Bowl and winning, it was just insane. And I I didn't skip school to that to go to the parade that I really wish I did. That's a huge regret because, I mean, in the long run, I think I had a test that there somewhere. My parents were like, no, you got to go to school, and I, I should have skipped because I just watched all my friends there and all the pictures and stuff, and I was just so jealous. But, I mean, just going to games and stuff, and even when they lose, like, I just – I care about Ravens football just so much more than I really need to, but I, I just love it. I mean, just going to games, like, I'm so hooked. Like, I went to the Steelers game. It's just so frustrating to watch, but then you come back, and you're like, I just, I just can't wait to watch next week. Like, even no matter how, like, how bad they're playing. And, like, my favorite part, at least from the Steelers game, was you should have seen it with the, um, with the pregame introductions. When Suggs took off, he was wearing the black um, kind of bag over his face when he took it off. And was, like, was the the band. Band. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, that was one of the, the coolest things that I've ever seen. I mean, the crowd was just, just going crazy. I mean, it was just such a classic Terrell Suggs move. And I know he didn't have a good game and stuff, but just doing that and just the atmosphere, the, cla- the crowd, I mean – a lot of people don't really understand how good of a rivalry this Ravens-Steelers rivalry is. I mean, it's just one of the best in football, and you really don't get to experience it until you go to one of the games. I mean, it's just so much fun to go to. And, like, Ravens football is just just something I care so much about. And every Sunday, I, I don't miss a game. And I even no matter how bad they're doing, I just care about it too much, and I love every second of it. Yeah, I'll never forget attending the Super Bowl parade. I remember my dad, he couldn't go. He had to be in Vegas on a business trip, but he actually encouraged me to skip school, and I did, and I remember handing in my note to our secretary, who was not a nice lady at my high school by the nice day, not a nice, not a pleasant woman at all. I remember her giving me a hard time, and, um, like, in a bad, like, she was actually angry at me because my note literally said I was at the Ravens parade. Um, so... Moving on now, we're going to pick on some Week 5 games kicking off on Thursday night as the Patriots take on the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. Uh, we'll go to For this, we'll go to uh, Rapid Fire. We'll go to me, Joe, and then Chris and just keep going around in a circle. I'm going upset city here. The Patriots defense looks like absolute garbage so far, um, and I think on a short week, Tampa Bay is going to take advantage of that. I know the Buccaneers have uh, supposed to have been more impressive than they have so far, but I'm going upset City here and taking the Buccaneers. I could regret this early, but that's what I'm. That's what I felt when I looked at the games a couple minutes ago. Yeah, I don't even know if you could call. I mean, it's definitely still an upset if they win, but the Patriots haven't played that well. So I mean, I'll go with you two Bucks at home too on a short week, and they're playing really well. So I'll take the Bucks as well. I'm taking the Buccaneers, but it's not because. Of the same reasons, it's because Thursday night always goes to the home team, almost always. Give me Tampa Bay. Also, how many times are we going to say that the Patriots are like every time, like it's two and two, they're like all oh, the they still have the whole season to turn things around. I feel like they're going to get if they're like uh, like two and if they're like two and eight or something, they're going to be like oh they still got time to turn around. That narrative <laughs> played out so much, I hate it. <laughs> Moving on to the 1 o'clock games on Sunday. First, the marquee match. The first two games, actually, uh, well, I mean, looking at the 1 o'clock game, five of them aren't marquee matchups here. But 49ers traveling Indianapolis take on the Colts. 
I took the away team. I just think it comes down to the two coaching staffs here. I went with uh, San Fran. I think I just think Kyle Shanahan and his coaching staff is better than um, Chuck Pagano and uh, Jacoby Brissett. Uh, this game I could see going other way as well, but give me the 49. Yeah, it's going to be an ugly game. And the 49ers haven't played that bad. They just lost a lot of close games, especially that overtime off the, the Cardinals. So I'll take the 49 as well. I'm going to uh, change the tide. I'll go with the Colts. I think uh, they look pretty good against the Seahawks, considering the Seahawks' defense is pretty good. Percet looked better than I thought he did. I'll go with the Colts. I'm, if I could change my pick, I probably would, uh, because now that I think about it, the 49ers basically played five quarters of football last Sunday. Now they have to go on the road to face the Colts team. I could well, the Colts played on the on Sunday night. The Forty Niners actually played sooner than the Colts did, but they played an extra quarter of football on Sunday. I could see the Colts winning that as well. So next game, Jets at Browns. I'm going to pick the. I picked a lot of away teams this week. I'm going to go with uh, the Jets here. Yeah, I'll go with the Jets too. They look even better than the Ravens right now, which is kind of sad, but. Well, I'm going to take the Jets. Joe just took the line I was going to use, so. Um, yeah, they look better than the Ravens. Kill me. And, of course, another big game here, the Steelers taking on the Jaguars. Boy, the Steelers' schedule is really challenging. Uh, <laughs> taking on uh, the, the early por- portion of the schedule. I'll go I'll go Pittsburgh here at home, winning winning easy. Yeah, I'll think the Jaguars are good. The Ravens are just really bad, and they made them look. The Jaguars look really good, so I'll take Steelers. Yeah, I'll take the Steelers begrudgingly. Another uh, battle here between 0-4 teams, the Chargers and the Giants. Boy, what a sad franchise the Chargers are now just being in their stadium. That's oh, they get what they deserve. They get what they deserve. Absolutely. They should have never moved. They're, they're a joke. I, could, I, could, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they went back to San Diego once the NFL realizes how big of a disaster this is going to end up being. I hope if they do go back to San Diego, San Diego says, uh, screw off. Yeah, that, I could easily see. I could, I could get behind that too. Um, give me the Giants here. Charters going across the country. You know they're losing three hours. Give me the Giants. I don't know about this one. This is <laughs> going to be a tough one because the Giants is one playing just so bad. I'll pick the Chargers. I think they're due for one, and the Giants are just terrible. Give me the Chargers until Ben McAdoo gets a freaking haircut. Moving on, the Bills traveling Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. How about the Bills de- defeating the Falcons in the Falcons Stadium the other week? I'm I'm going to ride that that tide right there and take Bills all the way. Yeah, me too. Finally, someone to rival the Patriots in the AFC East. I hope so. I'll take Bills. Hey, the Bills look good. They're playing good football, and their defense is actually doing what they were supposed to do when Rex Ryan was there. So give me Sean McDermott and his Bills. We are picking every NFL Week 5 game here on the MD Bird Podcast, which is easily turning into by far the longest episode of our history here. So be sure to subscribe to us on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Again, I'm Jake McDonald, McDonald 95 Joe is Joe Schiller, and Chris is uh, Chris Schiller is FootballMan58 out on Twitter. And, of course, our handle is at Ebony underscore Bird. Uh, next game, Lions-Panthers taking on the Lions in Detroit at 1. Uh, I'm going to go with the Lions. You know, Matt Stafford's playing out of his mind. I know the Panthers picked up a big win against the Patriots, but going on the road in two weeks in two weeks in a row, I'm going to take Detroit here, but I could see the Panthers winning as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I'll take the Lions. The Panthers without um, Kellen Benjamin and uh, Greg Olson is just going to be too much. I'll take the Lions. I'm going to take the Lions. I think the Lions are a dark horse team in the NFC. I think they have a chance to win it all this year. Up next, the Titans taking on the Dolphins. The Titans getting, well, both teams getting embarrassed last week. The Dolphins getting shut out two weeks in a row. This game has trap game all over it, but I'm still going to go with Tennessee here. Uh, but I could see, I could see it being like a shootout after the Dolphins getting 
shout out two weeks in a row. Everyone thinks they're done facing that Titans defense, which is really good. But I could see a shootout in a, in a trap game here. But I'm still going to pick Tennessee. I just can't trust Miami after getting shut out two weeks in a row. Yeah, I'll take Titans. We think Jeff Flacco doesn't care. Take a look at Jay Color. My God, that's awful. Um, I'm going to take the Titans in a very ugly one. Last one o'clock game here. The Cardinals traveling to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. Uh, man, I mean, I'm around Eagles fans all the time being in a you know, Pennsylvania school up in middle of Pennsylvania, and they're playing really well. Uh, I'm going to take them again here in uh, just their second home game. Give me the Eagles. I'm going to go upset City here like the Cardinals for some reason. I don't know why I think they're going to beat them. I think the Eagles and the Cardinals are both teams that we don't really know who they are at this point. I'm going to go with the Eagles at home, but this that's why I can see it going either way. Give me the Eagles. Moving on to the 4 o'clock matchups here. There are three of them on Sunday. The first is our game, which we haven't picked yet. The Ravens traveling to Oakland to take on the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders have beaten the Ravens two years in a row, but now they won't have Derek Carr on Sunday. Until I see any sign of life from the Ravens' offense, I know the Raiders' defense isn't that good, but the Ravens never play well on the road. They never play well in October, and for that reason, I'm going to go with their third straight loss. Give me the Raiders in a very low-scoring game. Yeah, I'm going to take the Raiders as well. Um, I'll take them by a field goal last time. Jeff Flacco played against EJ Manuel. He threw five picks. I know it's a different team, but that just gives me bad memories, so I'll take the Raiders. Oh, don't remind me of that day in Orchard Park. I will take the Oakland Raiders begrudgingly. The, the Raiders are going to win this game. The Ravens look like crap. Up next, this is always a tough game for the Seattle Seahawks going to L.A. to take on the Rams. The Rams have looked very good. You know, they beat the Cowboys. That, that was a really big upset last week. They beat them in their own place. I'm going to ride the, the Rams' hot streak here. Jared Goff's getting better every week. I know he's not uh, making all the all good decisions all the time, but he's certainly playing a lot better. Give me L.A. That's a tough one. I'm going to take the Seahawks, but I think it's going to be a close one. Wouldn't surprise me if the Rams won. They look really good. Give me the Rams. They had a knack for taking down the Seahawks before they were good. And now I think Todd Gurley is going to soften up that Seahawks defense. Give me Todd Gurley and the L.A. Rams. At 425, this will be the game of the week or the nationally televised game. The Packers taking on the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are going to be pissed off after losing at home to the Rams uh, last week. They're going to rebound here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, put up a, you know, a show, of course, last year in the playoffs against the Cowboys. I could easily see the Packers winning as well, but I'm going to take the Cowboys here. Yep, guys, catches it. Cowboys win. <laughs> I, I got Aaron Rodgers going crazy again. Give me the pass. On Sunday Night Football, the Chiefs on primetime television again this week as they travel on to Houston to take the Texans. Boy, uh, this is a tough you know, tough one here. The Chiefs are undefeated, but the Texans scored over 50 points last week against the Titans. Um, you know, now at home the second week in a row. This is actually going to be a really good game, and it's going to be a true test. Uh, for Deshaun Watson, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Texans. You know, I I really was impressed with how he played. I was not expecting the uh, Texans to win last week and beat Tennessee. Um, but after you know scoring 57 points and the Chiefs struggling at home to a Redskins team, um, I'm gonna you know Alex Smith playing on prime time. Of course, that hasn't always gone well in his career. Give me the Texans. I'm gonna ride the hot streak with the Chiefs. I mean, they're playing really well. They're not winning games outright, but they're doing just enough to win. So give me them on the road. I actually think the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in football right now. I don't think it's close. They have a good defense. They have a good offense. Give me the Chiefs. I think Akeem Hunt and a good Alex Smith are the difference. And on Monday Night Football, on October 9th at 8.30, the Vikings traveling to the Windy City in Chicago to take on the Bears. 
Mitchell Trubisky will get the start, and I'm going to go with the upset, I guess you could say here, with the Bears. Of course, uh, Sam Bradford and now Dalvin Cook out for, you know, Cook's out for the season. Bradford might be for a long time as well. Uh, I know the, the Vikings defense is formidable, but I'm going to – they don't have any tape on Trubisky except for in the preseason, and really what did the Bears coaching staff want to show when he played. So give me the Bears. I like them in this one. Yeah, you convinced me. I think the Bears are going to come out with the win. I wish the Bravens had Tariq Cohen. in that case. Real good. You ain't kidding. Um, I wish we had Jordan Howard. Oh, I wish I wish we had, like, anybody on offense that could do anything. Um, but give me the Bears. Give yeah. me the Bears. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to vet as much as humanly possible. Yeah, here's just here's just a wish list of what Ravens fans want right now. Joe Flacco to play better. Not so many injuries on the entire team, particularly on the offensive line. A you know a decent running back and no Marnie Morning wing. I think we cannot like that's a long list of wants for the offense, but it's all true. That's not too much to ask for. I don't think it's too much to ask for. I'm okay with Marnie Morning wing. I mean, I I think he stinks, but I think the offense stinks. So it's very fitting. Well, they got away. I mean, you know, we haven't talked about this much. They got away from. Uh, balance last week. Flacco attempted 49 pass plays. I know they were playing from behind, but... Look at that turn. Dude, stick to the running game. Flacco, Flacco's going to take you backwards. I mean, every time you say, okay, Flacco, we're, we're, the game's away, getting away from us. Pass the ball. You're just going backwards. It's just add on, add on six or seven points every time. Full crap. It's just horrible. <laughs> Well, after after that, I can't. I hope certainly hope that this Sunday goes better for the Ravens. Their offense just absolutely putrid the last two games, and as a result, the entire team is going down. Seems to be in a tailspin, but hopefully things turn around this weekend against the Oakland Raiders. Again, it's Sunday at uh, 4.05 here on the East Coast, with it being on the West Coast, taking on the Oakland Raiders on CBS. So enjoy the game this weekend if you do decide to watch. If you don't, I can't say I blame you after what we saw the past two weeks on the Ravens team. But with that being said, we have to remain optimistic, and hopefully things turn around this week. So for Chris, again, footballman 58 on Twitter, and Joe, Joe Schiller, two R's out on Twitter, our two site experts. I'm Jake McDonald, contributor for Ebony Bird, again, at Ebony underscore Bird on Twitter, EbonyBird.com, and, of course, download the app from the App Store, and you are listening to this podcast through either Blog Talk Radio or iTunes. Subscribe and leave us a review. We appreciate it. So for Chris and Joe, I'm Dave McDonald. We'll see you next week right here on the Ebony Bird Podcast.